Welcome back to the Wit and Whiskey cast. I'm DJ Gagnon, here with my co-host with the most, Mark Rossetti. Ah, uh, hello. And uh, today we're talking about that fucking game. <laughs> yeah, we are talking about Indeed and in fact, the absolute pinnacle of the definition of cardboard crack. <laughs> but before we get into actually talking about that fucking game, what you, uh, what you been up to this week, buddy? Can we trademark that TFG? <laughs> uh, you know, what are, what are you playing tonight? We're playing TFG. <laughs> I, I like that. Um, I actually played some TFG this week. <laughs> First time in several years, actually. Uh, we did a draft, uh, Ali and I. After we got done recording, we stayed up till about one thirty in the morning watching pro wrestling and playing TFG. Nice. Uh, I was about eight years old again. It was glorious. Uh, I went 3-0. and I kicked her ass from one side of the 1821 studios to the other. <laughs> uh, then I had the unfortunate uh, job later this week, once the sheets came in, of re-sleeving all my cards. I also took the opportunity to disem- disassemble all of my decks, except for the draft deck. So I have six binders pretty much stuffed to capacity. Nice. Uh, I then remembered that at uh, PAX one year, I got the entirety, pretty much, of the now out-of-print Robotech collectible card game. <laughs> so I said, fuck it, and I sleeve those, too. Because, you know, they might be worth, like, 50 cents one day. Yeah. Uh, so I now have a shelf with, you know, all of the cards that shall not be named, all of the Robotech cards, and all of the Top Gear collectible card game cards that I have. So I need to go back to my parents' house, because somewhere buried in my old room, I have the Austin Powers collectible card game. And I need to sleeve those, too, just for posterity's sake. Why do you have all of these things? I was big into collectible card games as a kid. Fun fact, though, you and I should do a draft, because I went on eBay today just for laughs. You can get sealed unopened boxes of the Austin Powers card game for 20 bucks. That <laughs> certainly Whole sounds, boxes. Certainly sounds like a thing we could do. <laughs> no, but that was good. And then, uh, you know, uh, today I found out that I've been chosen by a major uh, national museum organization. I won't say which one. I don't want to corrupt, corrupt the thing, but I get to peer review some grants. which is kind of fun. Uh, So, I mean, it's going to suck for the next three weeks because I have to read 11 grant applications, which if you've ever worked for a nonprofit and you've ever applied for a grant, you know that they're very long, very wordy, a lot of government speak. But I get to read 11 of them. I get to recommend who gets money and who doesn't. And, you know, it's a nice little thing on a resume, and it's just as lame as it sounds, it's nice to be honored. Uh, they, They want my opinion on something. They think I'm legit. Joke's on them. Uh, and there's going to be a check at the end, which is also nice. I, so. I get very Ron Swanson vibes, you know, libertarian, making sure nobody gets the money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a federal government block grant program, so the irony is not lost on me. <laughs> but I am going to try my best to be fair, and my group of 11 organizations that I have to review, some of them are actually some big-time heavy hitters, so I'm looking forward to it. Nice. That's awesome, dude. What about you? What would you do this week? Uh, I'm surprised you didn't mention it. Free Comic Book Day was this weekend. I didn't get to go. That's why I didn't mention it. What? I tried, brother. I tried, but I just had so much going on. 
Uh, I I went to Free Comic Book Day. We we uh, Holly and I went. And we had a, an absolutely fun time, despite the fact that it was like ninety six and humid. Yeah, it was like one hundred and thirteen here over the weekend too. So yeah, it was rough. We um, we just. I, it rained just long enough to make it even more humid. Like we were just soaked by the end of it, but it was awesome. We, uh, uh, free comic book day happened right after DC revealed that Tim Drake is by. How excited were you? I am <laughs> ecstatic. It was amazing. And I did. I, I wh- don't wh- know if you saw it before I texted you, but when I saw it, I was like, even if he knows I'm texting him. <laughs> I hadn't yet. I hadn't had my coffee that morning. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and one of the free comic book day comics was a like Tim Drake and Bernard comic. Okay. So I, I instantly snatched that up and I mean, that was the prize of the day. So I was pretty happy with it. Uh, but other than that, it, it's just, uh, it's, it's been a crazy week at work. So I'm just kind of looking forward to having Friday off this week. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I can't argue with that. Um, I, uh, I don't recognize the, the name of this whiskey. So what are you, uh, what are you drinking, buddy? Well, I had a feeling after you got a bottle that you were going to do Sazerac, if not this week, uh, in the very near future. So I gambled and I dipped into the well. Oh, no. Now, there's a valid reason why I dipped into the well, besides that I knew you were going to do an expensive whiskey this week. <laughs> what I'm drinking is the single biggest mover we sell at Conrad's. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking about hard liquor, I mean, we mostly sell beer at Conrad's, but I would say probably one out of every four or five shots we sell is this stuff. It's only $1.50 a shot. And boy, I could tell you I understand why. Uh, it's Ezra Brooks, and this is the entry-level Ezra Brooks. It's uh, the 90-proof Sour Mash Kentucky Whiskey, or Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey, I guess I should say. And it's uh, the first thing you should know is it's about 15 to $18 for a fifth. That being said, it's definitely above, you know, maybe Nikolai for vodka or Gilby's for gin. Uh, the mash bill, it's 78% corn, it's 12% rye, 10% barley, uh, 90 proof, as we said, so it's got 45% alcohol. It does not have an age statement, surprise, surprise, uh, but the distillery, which is Heaven Hill Distillery, they, they claim that it's right around four years. They just can't get the certification for it. And their big claim to fame is that they charcoal filter it. And, you know, every time I pour shot the old timers, this is charcoal filtered, it's smooth. And I have to say, overall, it isn't bad. It's a lot smoother than you would think. But it's just... uh, The flavor palette is intense. It's heavy. It starts off with the nose. It's all wood. I mean, you smell oak. You smell like hickory. You smell, I mean, just all you smell is wood. It's a glass of wood. When you drink it, you still get more big wood. Then you get a lot of spice, a ton of spice, pepper, and just some seasoning and, like, just different herbal hits. And it's, it's legitimately spicy. It's almost like you're drinking a peppery drink. Whoa. And then it smooths off at the end. And just when you're like, oh, that's not so bad, then you get the burn. <laughs> and then it reminds you that it's a $15 bottle of bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I mean, it's it lasts a little while. It's definitely not the longest lasting burn we've reviewed, but it's definitely medium length to medium slash long. I mean, I would say it's a six, six and a half on a scale of one to ten for length. Mm. Uh, but that being said, for fifteen bucks for a dollar fifty a shot, I get why they drink it. Um, I mean, I've had half a glass. I poured myself two and a half, three fingers of it here, as we normally do for the W and W. I've had about half a glass, a third of a glass, and coupled with the intense humidity here in the 1821 studios, I'm sweating pretty good. (laughs) Um, So it'll definitely get the job done. It's cheap enough to be a daily driver. And if you're brave enough, hey, why not? I mean, I can't can't in good conscience recommend this, but I can't at the same time shit all over it either. So make of that what you will. (laughs) All right, you... You save this show. You do something good now. <laughs> uh, I I, uh, I definitely can't save the show, um, but I do enjoy the whiskey that I'm drinking. So uh, I'm drinking Sazerac rye, but I'm not drinking the aged Sazerac rye because Sazerac has two offerings. One is the 18-year, which is $2,700 a bottle uh, for a fifth. Uh, I'm not drinking that. So I'm drinking there normal non-age statement rye and uh it's i i only got you beat by like 10 15 bucks it's like maybe a 28 30 dollar bottle wow yeah uh, i was pretty surprised that i was uh i i have a hard time finding cachaca around here and i needed it for some cocktail recipes so uh, i was putting in an order to caskers and i was like i wonder and yeah i found a um, the, just the standard bottle of Sazerac, which I just can never find in New Hampshire. And it's like 28 bucks. I'm like, all right, that's getting added to cart. Uh, and it's good. It's a solid rye. I, I would actually say if you can get this in your state, it's a solid entry level rye. Um, yeah, I, I think wild Turkey would definitely be a little bit more affordable, but uh, it's good. Uh, it's got that like that uh, taste of like you know the burn and the pepper and the the good stuff that you expect out of rye, but it finishes nice and smooth with kind of like a a licorice candy taste on the on the back end, which uh, I'm I, I really enjoy. I, I think that's probably why Sazerac pairs so well uh, with absinthe. So it's really good and twenty eight twenty eight dollars. So you can't go wrong there. No, you really can't. I um, I think I still definitely prefer three chords a little bit more, but I also can't find three chords anymore. So uh, this will be my rye for a while. There's something to be said for accessibility. It's true. Yeah, I there's so many ryes that are you know the liquor stores in New Hampshire have like you know you've got the giant bourbon section, you've got like the one like you know four shelf thing of rye and half the time there's you know irish whiskeys on it so uh the 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 pickings are slim for rye most of the time uh and i don't really want to be buying a bottle of whistle pig every time i want to drink rye so um i i may be delving into some more of those as uh as that section expands the liquor store well you've given me a fantastic segue for whiskey news hell yeah because I have in front of me the statistics for Nielsen for the last 52-week period for all types of hard liquor sales for the United States of America. Huh. Now, 
we should premise all these numbers by saying last year obviously was a little goofy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the world kind of ended, things occurred, major pandemic. I'm sure you've seen the news. So I would say take these numbers with a grain of salt, but still, they're very interesting. So I'm going to throw some questions at you here, DJ. Okay. In terms of actual liquid volume, what was the uh, highest selling liquor in the United States of America? Is it Jack Daniels? No, no, I mean, I mean uh, type. type oh. like whiskey, vodka, wine. Well, wine isn't a spirit. The highest spirit. Uh, I mean, I, I want to say, I want to say vodka. Vodka was indeed, and in fact, the number one seller by volume. Do you know what the number one seller by cash dollar amount was? Oh, that's probably whiskey. It was indeed. Yeah. In 2020, the United States of America sold, are you ready for this? 10.8 billion, <laughs> with a B, dollars in whiskey. Vodka was number two, but as we said, used to say in racing, there's a bit of a gap. Yeah. Vodka came in at six point nine billion, wow. so almost half, sixty percent. Uh, of those, uh, interestingly enough, from uh, types of whiskey, number one is good old American whiskey. We buy our own. Uh, number two was uh, Canadian, number three was Scotch, and Irish whiskey was lagging behind in fourth. Uh, every state in the United States, all 50 states, own a distillery, a local distillery. They can claim one. And so uh, to round this off, I have the top five states and the bottom five in terms of percentage of sales that are whiskey. So this is every bottle of wine, every bottle of vodka, every other, they take all the numbers, and this is what the percentage is of whiskey. Number five was Missouri, 25.2%. Number four was North Carolina, 25.7%. Number three was good old West Virginia, 26.5%. Number two was Indiana, which that one kind of surprised me, hmm. at 26.7%. And then any guesses on what's the number one? I, I can't even hazard a guess. Kentucky. Ah, that's fair. At a whopping 45.9%. <laughs> Essentially, one out of two bottles sold in Kentucky are whiskey. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, the bottom five are Oregon, Minnesota, New York, New Jersey, and then do you know what the lowest, what the 50th out of 50 state is? Utah? Idaho. Oh, man. I, I'm surprised Utah's not on that list. Utah, if I'm looking at this correctly, is number is sixth from the bottom. Uh, keep in mind, there are a, a lot of non-Mormon areas of Utah. They make up the average. Uh Pennsylvania is somewhere in the middle at 19.9%. And I'm sad to say the Shire is rather down the bottom. They're in the bottom 10 at 14.8%. Is this like per percentage of population and stuff? Because New Hampshire's kind of tiny. No, no. This is basically they took the statistics from your state stores. And of all their sales, 14 and a bit percent were whiskey. Yeah, I mean, that does make sense. 
in New England. We do like margaritas and weird liqueurs up here. Although I have to hand it to Maine. Maine is flirting with 20% if I'm reading this correctly. So. Nice. Um, but yeah, so those are the states that drink the most whiskey. Um, shout out to Texas, too. They almost made the top five, which again is no, no surprise there. They were number seven, so <laughs> uh, six or seven. Uh, so yeah, so that's that. I found that very, very interesting, but almost $11 billion in whiskey sales last year. That's intense. Choo-choo. All right, what, what do we have for uh, Tools of the Trade? Uh, so for Tools of the Trade today, we're talking about speed pouring. Um, Ooh, it, I like this. It, it's, a, it's an interesting topic. I, I can't confess to being very good at it, um, mostly because I don't get a lot of practice. Um, so when I make cocktails at home, I definitely use jiggers, and I try to be pretty precise. Uh, but speed pouring is, it's really what you're going to do as a bartender. And it's kind of like that next level of bar equipment, right? Like if you're entertaining often, you want to get more into the hobby, uh, having speed pourers around is, is a good idea. And I, I've got half a dozen floating around my house. Um, and I, I do use them occasionally, but, uh, the idea of a speed, speed pourer is they are engineered in a way that you, you know, take the cop cap off a bottle, you put one of these pourers on it and you can pour out of the bottle at a steady rate that the pourer is is engineered in a way to make sure that it it comes out as at a steady rate and then you can use uh a a four count for an ounce so you know one uh, you know if you start to pour one that's you know a quarter of an ounce one two that's half an ounce um it's a pretty fascinating way of doing things, and uh, there's so many different kinds of pourers. There's metal ones, there's plastic ones, there's uh, the, the bottles that you can get for pouring juices or just have these huge honking uh, speed pourers. Um, so if you want to get yourself a few, uh, there's a couple of different ways to go about it. I, I tend to like the plastic ones for practicing, um, but if I was going to ha- keep them on a bottle, I'd, I'd probably want the metal ones that have the, the covers built in, um, just because I don't really work at a bar and I, I want to be able to cover the bottle at the end of the night. Um, there's also some really interesting, uh, other kinds of speed pours. There's one that, uh, is flat with the, the opening of the bottle and it goes into the opening and it's meant for, like, you can screw the top back onto a bottle and just put it away. Uh, but it still puts out the alcohol at the same rate as a normal speed pour. So uh, if you want to get into speed pouring, there's a lot of really interesting uh, tutorials online. Uh, I'm a big fan of... Uh, there's, a, there's a guy who's got uh, an account called Tipsy Bartender. And uh, he does a lot of really cool, like he does layering tutorials and speed pouring tutorials and all sorts of good stuff. Uh, and his stuff is pretty accessible. Um, and, and most of the like online bartending classes will teach you how to speed pour. Uh, it, it definitely takes some practice. Uh, how are you at it, Mark? I'm not bad um, with the counting, although I must admit, if we're being honest, I cheat. You can actually get now for small money and we have them at Conrad's, and I have a couple in my house. They come in two packs. They are a, a larger plastic speed pourer, and they have a little trap door flap cover. 
but they also have a little metal ball bearing in them. <laughs> and what you do is you turn the bottle upside down and you sort of do like a jerking motion and you load the pour and it loads about a shot. And then you turn it back upside down. So basically you do like a twist, you turn it back right side up and when you pour it upside down again, the trap door opens and it dumps basically a shot and then the ball bearing goes back up and it closes off. That's amazing. And then you just reload it and go, you know, for singles, doubles, etc. Uh, you can get a two pack of those for like 12, 13 bucks. And I mean, they're plastic, so they don't last super long, but you'll definitely get your money's worth out of them. Yeah, they're fascinating. Uh, I did look up uh, because there are some states, and I don't have the, the names of all the states here, but there are some states that regulate pours in the bar industry. Yes. And there's actually devices that you have to put on a bottle, and it regulates how much you can pour. Um, uh, New Hampshire doesn't have those. I'm pretty sure Pennsylvania doesn't. Um, Pennsylvania doesn't, although it is technically illegal to free pour in Pennsylvania. So you either have to have a speed pour of some description or you have to have a jigger, although the easiest way around that is just sort of do what you do with vermouth. For people who don't like vermouth, just have the jigger nearby. <laughs> I mean, if a regular comes in and, you know, I'm going to make their drink a little better, guess what? It's going to happen one way or another, and there's ways around it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, yeah, there's some really interesting stuff. Check out your own state's laws around uh, speed pouring and whatnot. There's, and if you want to, you can check out those devices to make speed pouring a little bit more accurate. Uh, you, it, it slows everything down, so, like, it, it's kind of counterproductive to call it speed pouring if you're yes. kind of regulated. <laughs> And honestly, like I've I've seen videos of bartenders like showing you how to get around those devices. So um, they're not foolproof, uh, but speed pouring is pretty cool. It's a it's a fun skill to learn. It's a fun skill to learn, and at the end of the day, you have to remember. Uh, I don't know this for a fact. This isn't the historian in me talking, but I can almost guarantee you they were invented by a bar owner yeah. because they do speed things down. They do make it fairly precise if they work properly and it's this way no this way we're going to get every last cent out of every drink we're going to get this we get this so they are counterintuitive to an extent for a bartender but it is another tool in your arsenal if you learn how to use them properly it's true yeah especially if you get a rush at a bar yes all right mark you ready for this you ready to talk about that fucking game <laughs> well i i was looking over our notes I think in our notes, I think we have this a little backwards. I think maybe you should start with the color wheel and, you know, the terms and everything, and then we could go a little bit into the, you know, we'll go into the basic rules of the game, and then we can go into the evolution and the history, and then maybe we'll end with some of the variants. What yeah, do you think? I think that's great. So, uh, <laughs> listeners, we're talking about Magic the Gathering today. <laughs> Oh, God almighty. Here we go. Magic the Gathering is that fucking game. And, uh, it, you know, it, it's been around since 1993. Mark is going to tell you about it. Um, I'm not going to get much into the history here until we get into the variants. Um, but Magic the Gathering is a collectible trading card game that has a, an incredibly expansive competitive meta. Uh, the, it, it's got tur tournaments and it's, um, it's run by the same company as D and D there's just, a, well now, a, yeah, it, it's very <laughs> big. Um, and so, uh, 
there's a lot of interesting things about magic uh, that make it a compelling game, but also make it endlessly frustrating for those of us who love it. Um, but the, the whole thing with magic is it's incredibly fucking nerdy. But the idea of magic is you are playing as what's called a planeswalker. Uh, and you have the ability to summon creatures and monsters and other mages and people to your side in a battle uh, where your opponent is also a planeswalker. And, you know, over the course of the game, the game has evolved to include lots of different kinds of cards and mechanics. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about some of the, the mechanics of magic by introducing magic's color wheel. Uh, and magic goes by a system of what's called mana. And you draw, as a planeswalker, you draw your um, energy, your mana, to cast all of these spells from lands, from, from the lands that you walk or the, the lands that you have dominion over. Uh, and each of those lands is aligned with a different color. Uh, there are five primary colors in magic with a uh, there is a a non-color there's a colorless mana as well uh, which has been fairly recently codified as its own kind of land and its own kind of uh, icon so there is technically a six non-color uh, aside from you know colorless or color neutral stuff uh, but the five primary colors are red, white, blue, black, and green. And the deck of cards that you build can be s uh, aligned with one of these colors, two, three, four, five, whatever you want to do. There's, there's quite a few combinations that you can, you can have. Um, the more colors that are in your deck, the more complex your deck gets, the, the harder it is to draw the cards that you need to do the things that you want. Um, I, I found that most decks don't tend to go beyond three, but uh, there definitely are four and five color decks out there. Uh, so to give you a little bit of the mechanics here, uh, each color has its own kind of flavor and sense of, of what it does in the game. Uh, starting with red, uh, red is generally uh, very chaotic. It's a lot of dragons, uh, goblins, hounds, ogres, and orcs. Uh, it, it tends to be like horde mentality. Uh, it tends to use mechanics. Uh, um, there's one called haste, which allows a monster to uh, come out of the gate swinging, uh, which counteracts the one of the core rules of magic, which is summoning sickness. You can't use a creature or a monster on the same turn that it's summoned. Haste negates that. They come out of the gate swinging. Um, and they're generally, red is generally very damage heavy. It's, it's reckless. It's a lot of rapid speed strategies. You're t you tend to make your strategy on the fly with red. Uh, and when we talk about planeswalkers, you as the player are a planeswalker, but in the game itself there are uh, named planeswalkers that are cards that you can play. Uh, and the idea is like you are allying yourself with a planeswalker. Ooh. Um, Overrated. <laughs> what? <laughs> I love planeswalkers. Mark is an old fuddy-duddy. Um, uh, but in red, uh, they introduced uh, Chandra, the pyromancer. She's 
you know, a fiery redhead. Uh, and my, my personal favorite is also red. His name's Doretti the Scrap Savant. He's a, he's a goblin artificer. Uh, so, so red's pretty cool. Uh, I don't tend to play a lot of white, but white is a lot of planning, strategy, building an army. Uh, there's a lot of healing and a lot of protection, a lot of equipment within white. Um, uh, I like to joke it's the goat class. It is, uh, but it's important to, to specify that while white is often about light and purity and protection, it's not necessarily good. No, it, and that's, I mean, even as recent as the Return to Innistrad set, we saw angels slaughtering humans. Like, it's very lawful. Um, but you tend to see a lot of soldiers. You tend to see, like, unicorns and pegasi and sphinxes and, and angels. Um, uh, in, in this color spectrum, we get uh, Ajani, the, the lion warrior. We get Nahiri, the lithomancer. Uh, some pretty cool names in the set. Uh, in blue, uh, blue is my other personal favorite color. I play a lot of blue. Of course uh, you do. Yeah. Uh, Mark is just fuming hearing this. 90% uh, of our listeners that play Magic are fuming. Blue is the pedantic color. Uh, I do. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, blue is a lot of sea creatures. It's uh, weirdly a lot of flying creatures. It's uh, mages. Um, it, you'll get boats and like sailors and pirates and all sorts of fun things. Uh, it, blue is all about magic and, and actual magic, not the card game magic, but actual magic. It's, um, morph and transformation mechanics. Uh, it's a lot of instants and sorceries. Uh, it uses some mechanics called delve and scry that allow you to get into your deck uh, a little bit more and kind of churn through it a little bit quicker. Blue is all about control. It's all about, uh, transformation it's all about board wipes, which frustrate anybody who's playing against blue. Um, lots of really great things in blue. Uh, black is about what you would expect. It's the polar opposite of white, where we say white is not always good, black is not always evil, but, you know, it's mostly made of vampires and demons and zombies and, uh, you know, hags and uh, the undead. Uh, black does a lot with the graveyard. Whenever a monster gets destroyed in magic, it gets sent to the graveyard or it gets exiled. Uh, black brings them back and sometimes way more powerful than they were before. Um, black does a lot with uh, poison counters. It, it uses uh, a mechanic in magic called death touch. Uh, some really, really great things there. Um, and black is all about sacrifice and resurrection. You know, if you... Uh, if you listen to a lot of my chemical romance as a kid, uh, you, you might be playing a lot of black. And uh, out of black, we get uh, planeswalkers like Liliana, who's a necromancer. Uh, we get Soren Markov, who's like one of the progenitors of the entire vampire race. And then we get into green. Uh, and I don't love green. Uh, green is probably my, probably my least played color. Um... I feel like I should like green more, but I don't tend to like how it plays. Uh, but it's all about elves and fae. Uh, there's a lot of creatures, you know, tigers and wolves and stuff like that. Uh, there's also a lot of titans and a lot of golems in green. Uh, green uses a lot of uh, lifelink. Uh, it uses a mechanic called trample that does 
uh, damage through a monster that's defending. Uh, it's all about big creatures and slow plotting strategies, and I hate that. I don't like slow strategies. I don't like having to plan that far in advance and and slowly watch my board uh, get more powerful. So I tend to play decks that are red-blue, um, but green, I, I honestly, I couldn't name a lot of Planeswalkers in green. I had to go look some up. Uh, the earliest greens, green Planeswalker was Garuk, uh, who is kind of this wild, druid, barbarian-type warrior. Um, but it's, it's a lot of nature stuff, you know, hippy-dippy bullshit, um, which is fine. If you like green, you like green. Uh, but that's kind of like magic in a nutshell. You, you summon creatures, you cast spells, you use equipment, uh, and you draw energy from the land around you in order to cast all of these things. And then you go swinging at your opponent. Green is kind of like your first girlfriend. I mean, green is an entry-level uh, color. I mean, I, I, I think the vast majority of players started with green. I started with a Christmas tree deck, a red-green deck, way back in 1995. Uh, it's a great way to learn the game, but it's, I think it's higher tier at its end game. I, I don't think are all there. I do think it's interesting that you said you primarily play red-blue since they are two colors that are diametrically opposed <laughs> to one another. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to judge. I played a white-black deck for a long time. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting because they're all kind of on a, like five points of a star. And I've always really enjoyed the, the unpredictability of blue with the heavy aggression and speed of red. Oh, no, if you could pull it off, it definitely mm -hmm. works, but that's a narrow tightrope to walk. There's a, there's a set we'll talk about later uh, set in the plane of Ravnica, um, and Ravnica is all about, it's like a, an underground city basically with guilds, and uh, each of the guilds is one of the, the two type color combinations. Uh, and I, so when I found that out about Ravnica, I, I immediately looked up which guild, uh, was red, blue and it's, it's called, is it? And I love it. Yeah. I suppose we should throw a disclaimer in here as we go forward. DJ's going to lean very heavy into the lore. I am. I don't give a shit. I think it's all pretty bland. Uh, it just keeps going and going. I think the game works best if you're in a vacuum. Uh, the game does not need lore. It does not need storyline, as we're going to talk about very uh, soon. It was not originally planned to have one. <laughs> uh, and I mean, but that's just me. I just I think it's goofy. I had a few of the novels back in the day. They were so bad. They used to give them away with boxes of cards <laughs> and they were still pretty much unreadable. Uh, you can go on eBay and get pretty much anyone for like three bucks. Like they're actually worth less than the cards. But. It is what it is. A lot of people like them. That's why they keep doing it. But I just, I have no interest. I, I, I love it. I, I know not everybody likes the lore of magic, but I, I honestly think it's about as deep as some of the Forgotten Realms lore at this point. Like, it's just... Oh, it is. It the, definitely is. There's so much to it, and they don't tend to publish the lore like they used to, but I, I, I got into the lore when... Because I got into magic with uh, Cons of Tarkir, and uh, all of the lore around, like, why they transformed and why the time skip happened and 
I, I thought it was great. I, I, I like it. So uh, Mark can just sit over there. I mean, to me, all the lore is, to a lesser extent, what all the planeswalkers are, are just people that show up to yell at you in the video games. That's all they are. I don't know who this person is and why they're talking to me. <laughs> uh, should we get into a little of the history? Yeah, I guess. I'm looking at this. This is going to be a two-hour episode tonight, isn't it? No, no, we'll cut through it. So you <laughs> said you, you started playing in cons... Cons of Tarfir. That's what you said? Because that's on my list here, actually. I think so. I think Cons was like 2014. Yeah, good. Wow. Oh, you poor sweet summer child. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, best I could tell looking through my cards before we did this was I was pretty sure I started playing uh, during Revised, which was late 94, early 95. But we'll get into that. Yeah, I uh, avoided magic like the plague for the longest time, and then finally a friend got me into it. <laughs> well, it all started back in 1993 when Wizards of the Coast released what was not the first collectible card game. There actually was a, uh, an attempt by Tops to do the same thing with baseball cards because baseball card sales were languishing, and the idea was you'd build a baseball team out of collectible cards and play. That bombed to the point where I don't even know what it was called. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in 1993 came out Magic the Gathering. And it is a collectible card game. I know that Wizards likes to say now, Magic the Gathering, the trading card game. No, it's a collectible card game. And there is a difference. We don't have time to go into the difference between the two, but there is a difference. Uh, So the first two sets was Limited Edition Alpha and Limited Edition Beta. uh, 1993 and that was going to be the whole game that was your whole set that was your whole game you build your decks from these cards Uh, it was interesting at the time there was none of the four of a kind rule I mean the way magic plays now is aside from a, a basic land you can only have four of a card generally there's some exceptions uh, that didn't exist. <laughs> so you go back and you look at some of these early tournament-winning decks, and they have 25 of one card, 30 of another card, and these are 60-card decks. Uh, it gave us the Power 9. DJ, off the top of your head, what, what were the Power 9? Uh, I have no idea. Oh. I got in, like, in the mid-2010s. I, have, I haven't gone back. All right. Well, the Power Nine were the nine most powerful cards ever released in Magic. They were all in Alpha and Beta. Uh, You had the five Moxen, Mox Pearl, Mox Sapphire, Mox Jet, Mox Ruby, Mox Emerald. You had Ancestral Recall, Time Walk, Time Twister, and, of course, the Big Mama Jamma, the one, the only, Black Lotus. Yeah. I knew about that one. For those of you playing the home game, in January of this very year, 2021, a 9-point-something uh, rated version of the Alpha Black Lotus was auctioned off for... Any guesses? Mm, I, no. It's going to be so much money. $511,100. Jesus. And to put this into perspective, in the 90s, Wizards of the Coast had a magazine called Inquest, and the back of Inquest every month was a price guide for Magic. And my friend Kyle and I, who taught me the game, we re- I remember, I think I still have it at my parents somewhere, the issue where they were talking about Black Lotus hitting $400. Uh, 
And we're going, what the fuck? $400. If we only knew. Well. Uh, interestingly enough, the very first banned list for tournaments came out in January of 99. It wasn't even a full calendar year later. And the first nine cards to be banned were the Power Nine. So they didn't even last a year. Uh, Unlimited came out in 1993. It is what was the first of what we now call the core sets. It was basically a reprinting of, again, what they thought was going to be the entire game. Uh, It's sometimes referred to as third edition. uh, And then revised, which is when I got into it, is a lot of times called fourth edition, even though there is no technically third and fourth editions. Uh, And what set it apart was it was all the same cards as Alpha and Beta, but they had white borders, not black borders. And so that way, you always knew when you were playing somebody like me who was poor and they had a lot of white-bordered cards. Uh, The first proper expansion, when they realized they had a lot of money sitting here and they need to make more cards, was Arabian Nights in 1994. This was a fucking awesome expansion because it was based off of 1001 Arabian Nights, the, uh, the folklore, the tales. And this was the original gimmick. Magic was not going to have a lore. Every set was going to be based off of public domain stories and public domain characters. The next set was actually supposed to be based on the works of William Shakespeare. Just think about that for a second. Uh, For whatever reason, they changed and they didn't do it. Uh, Later on in 94, they came out with Legends, and Legends really started to evolve the game into what we know now. You have multicolored cards, which is a time where gold. You didn't have these half-and-half bullshit cards you have now. You had your first legendary creatures, which is why the set was called Legends. And you got DJ's favorite rule. You got poison counters. Fucking hate poison counters. Uh, I threw this one in just because it made me laugh. In 1998, during the set Exodus is when they started coloring the symbols for rarity. You know, commons are black, uncommons are silver, uh, rares are gold, and mythic is bullshit. Uh, so Mythic is like red, orange. Yeah, it's like orange, but it's bullshit. That's not a thing. So we, uh, this was Exodus 1998, and I just remember still to this day thinking that that's a new thing. Like, oh, man, that's new bullshit. They changed that rule. No, it's been going on for, like, most of the game's life. I'm just so stuck in the past with it. Sixth edition was the big one. Sixth edition was when I started to fall out of love with Magic all the way back in 1999 because they completely changed the game. Mm. Uh, There was no more anti, which you actually, when you... Most people didn't do this, to be fair, but if you were playing Magic correctly, you had to... uh, you would cut your opponent's deck, your opponent would cut your deck, and the top card on each deck would be set off to the side, and the winner won both of those cards. Nice. And there actually were cards that changed what was in the anti-pile and this and that. Uh, The government got after them because it was technically illegal gambling, but that's gone. No more interrupts. And before somebody says, oh, well, they're just instants. No, they were a totally different type of card. You could only counter an interrupt with another interrupt. You couldn't use anything else. It was... It was very interesting. Uh, a lot of decks got thrown by the wayside once they did got rid of those. Uh, there's no more summon spells. Now they're just creature spells. They also got rid of summoning sickness. They changed that into haste and summoning and all that. Uh, no more mana sources. It's either a land or an activated ability now. 
uh, as I said, haste was the first. You, you see your first permanent keyword, and haste was the first one. Now we have all kinds, lifelink, first strike, double strike, all that bullshit. First one came in in 6th edition. Uh, you can no longer shut off artifacts by tapping them, although interestingly enough, for some of them, they've actually gone back and errated it that you could still do this <laughs> because this broke the fucking game. Uh, and then they introduced the stack, which I don't know anybody in casual magic that uses the stack. That's a tournament thing. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I feel like I, it comes up fairly often in Commander. I mean, maybe when you're playing a lot of blue and you're countering everything left and right. Well, I mean, it's also because... Well, we'll talk about Commander, but it's the multiplayer aspect that there can be a lot of cards played at once. Uh, eighth edition in 2003 saw an artwork change. It got rid of the darker, more stony frames. Uh, there's less of a frame overall. There's more room for text. Uh, they changed the where the picture sits. Uh, Meridian in 2003 gave us the first subclass. It gave us equipment and basically ruined my filing system for artifacts from then on. <laughs> time Spiral was interesting in 2006 because Time Spiral, first of all, gave us time-shifted cards where they were starting to play with the idea of mythic rares. They didn't exist as a thing yet, but you had reprints, black-bordered reprints of old-school powerful cards at an insanely high rarity because the storyline was that the timeline is falling apart. Mm-hmm. This is also where we were supposed to get the sixth color. We were supposed to get purple. And purple was going to be the uh, timeline unraveling and the dimensions starting to fall. And it was done. It was play tested. Cities were going to be their lands. Urban centers were going to be their lands. And at the very last minute, they didn't do it. Do you know why? No. The dumbest fucking reason you'll ever hear. Okay. The backs of the cards. What? By rule, every card back has to be exactly the same. Yeah, true. It only has five colors on it. Yeah. So they would have to go back and reprint every card ever made. Uh, fun thing I just learned this week researching this episode. Next time you're at home, listeners, actually pause the show right now and do this. Take your cards out if you have them. Turn them over. Look at the bottom where it says Deckmaster. Now, Deckmaster in of itself is a throwback because that brand died years and years and years ago, and there's nothing under the Deckmaster brand. But look where it says Deckmaster. There's a blue line that sort of goes down the one corner. That literally was a pen mark on the original proof that they didn't catch. And because it went to the printer like that, now every single card ever printed has to have it. Oh, my God. Uh, 10th edition was another major uh, revamp. They put black borders on the cards of the core set for the 10th anniversary, which they said was going to be a one-time thing, and then they lied, and now they do it every year. Uh, you've had legendary creatures in core sets for the first time ever, and then the thing that still pisses me off to this day, they got rid of Mana Burn, and they completely changed the way you play the game ever since. Uh... Shards of Alara in 2008 gave us colored artifacts, which, you know, every day we stray further from God. Magic 2010 was another major revamp. It gave us planeswalkers as characters, and this was so hyped up. Yeah, because it's awesome. People were hyping this up. They're lame. You don't need them. They don't do anything. Well, Um, maybe the way you play Magic. 
Mythic Rares uh, became a thing in Magic 2010. You also got uh, the Exile Zone. I mean, before that, cars were just removed from play. Now you have a whole separate zone they go into. You can interact with the zone. You could do things. You could phase cards in and out of Exile. That one's actually okay. I don't mind that as much. Yeah, I like time uh, counters. You got Combat has phases. Now, we didn't talk about this in 6th edition. Before 6th edition, there were no real phases in turns. And you can actually tell an old-school Magic player like myself, because we do something that would get us thrown out of every single tournament we ever enter. We draw a card first. Because mm. that was the way you played. <laughs> that was the first rule, was you drew a card, then you did everything else. And now there's like 87 phases. Um, Magic 2010 gave combat phases. You have to declare combat. You have to sign attackers, assign blockers. There's places you could counter. A lot of it is just boom, boom, boom. But when you look at the list, it makes it look very overwhelming now with all the different phases and different combat. They also pulled off damage from the stack. You don't put damage on the stack anymore. And this was the first core set that got yearly names, kind of like a Madden game. Now there's no 10th edition, 11th edition. Now it's all Magic 2010, 2011, 2012, yada, yada, yada. Noise. Uh, you mentioned Cons of Tarfir before. I got a bone to pick with Cons of Tarfir. Tark here. Whatever. <laughs> it, changed, it changed the legendary rules. You can have multiple copies of the same legendary now. I don't like that. Uh, uh, are you sure? Because that's, that has burned me so many times in Commander. No, no. See, the thing is, if, if it's on the other side, like if you and I play, we can both have a copy of the same guy. You can't have two copies on your side of the board. Yeah, but you can that. have a copy on either side. And that completely ripped out the entire strategy of a clone deck. Got rid of it entirely. Uh, Ravinica Alliance. They changed the mulligan rules, which I didn't even know about till today. I texted you about this today. Yeah. Um, don't like it. I think it's cute at, that you actually play with mulligan rules. Well, you know, some of us follow the rules. Uh-huh. Uh, it was inducted into the Toy Hall of Fame with this set as well in 2019, which I can't say it's not deserving magic as a whole, but I don't consider it a toy. Uh, but maybe that's just me. And then this year we got Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. It is the D&D crossover that literally I started playing in 1995 Wizards of the Coast did not own both D&D and Magic at that point, but there was already talk back then that there was going to be a D&D and Magic crossover. Finally, in 2021, we got it. It's also the first canon crossover. I did look it up for this. The cards are legal, which I'm very surprised about. Last year in 2020, there was actually, of all things, a Walking Dead crossover. Ugh. The set was a grand total of 14 cards, all foil, and none of them are legal. And if you Google it, basically you get loads of forum posts and Reddit posts just saying, pretend it doesn't exist. So I pretended it didn't exist. Yeah, that's for the best. So that's magic in a nutshell. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's way better casual than it is for tournament play because you can kind of tweak it and play with house rules and get rid of some of the bullshit and you know put mana burn back in like there should be. So uh, that's that. You're going to tell us about some variants now. Your beloved commander. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I very quickly abandoned standard magic formats because uh, I went to a single draft, uh, you know, built a little bit of a deck, played it, and just had such a nasty, negative, boring experience that I have never been back to a public magic event. I just, I don't care for it. 
we talked about this already in the Toxic Fandoms episode. Uh, I think tournament tournament magic is one of the more toxic things I have experienced, and uh, I don't really want to go back. So I I tend to only ever play casual now, and uh, I tend to only play commander. Uh, so commander uh, has technically been around probably about since six months after Magic's inception. Um, It it used to be called uh, EDH, or Elder Dragon Highlander. Uh, Before EDH, there was a version just called Highlander. And uh, the primary rule of Highlander is there can only be one. Uh, Commander must Trademark. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Trademark by, you know, the Highlander series. But... That, that's what the magic uh, format is also based on. There, you, Aside from basic lands, you can only have one of each card in the deck, and it has to be 100 cards. And the reason why Commander came to be is because even as early as, you know, 93, 94, when they were, you know, you'd go and play magic with people, you'd go to a magic event and it would be the same two decks that everybody was playing. And that's it. There wasn't, you know, people weren't using a variety of cards. There was a lot of cards that were just, you'd collect them in boxes and nobody would would ever play with these cards because it's not one of the two most powerful decks and you couldn't win with them, so why would you play them? And so the, the, the whole, like, thought of EDH back in the day was normal magic is boring and everyone plays the same damn deck. Uh, so with this new format, with the adjustment of 100, 100 cards and the, the limit on only having one of each card in your deck, you get to start seeing a variety of cards you don't see in standard. You, you can't play, you know, four copies of uh, every card that you want. And it, the other thing about Commander is, and this was kind of a later addition to it, uh, but Commander's played with more than two people. Now, you can just play it one-on-one, and it's a ton of fun. Uh, but Commander is built as, a, as an official format for, like, two to six people. Everybody has I, I feel we must magic. interject. You can play regular Magic with multiple players, too. It, it's, yes, you can. It's not nearly as fun. And with the 60-card decks, it's hard to get a strategy together to beat five other people. See, all right. See, I like the speed of it. That's my biggest gripe with Commander is how bloody fucking long it takes. But all right, go ahead. Continue. See, I don't like the speed of standard magic because I, you play with a 60-card deck. Once you've played it twice, you've played see, every strategy in see, that deck, you don't, and that's it. You don't have to play with a 60-card deck. I don't know where you get that from. The rule is your deck can be as big as possible as long as you could shuffle it without assistance. That's yeah, the letter of the l- rule. Which, which is all well and good, but I... I'm not I'm not a deck builder, so I don't really enjoy like, oh, you use this one mechanic, so I'm gonna just add five more cards I'll be able to find somehow, and then you have two hundred card. That's not fun for me, uh, and I have to imagine with the commander's popularity that I'm not the only one. 
Well, I mean, having played Commander, even though it's not my cup of tea, I mean, it's obvious why it's popular. It's because tournament magic does suck. I yeah. mean, it's. I mean, I'm sitting here and, and fighting for the old guard doing that, but there is nothing more toxic, more awful. I mean, there are almost no worse experiences than a standard block type two, whatever the fuck they call it now, magic tournament. It's yeah. awful. Um, I like drafts a little bit more than you do. Uh, but that's just because I do like deck building and I like the randomness of it. But I mean, no, just to go in with a standard or a limited format tournament, no, I'd, I'd rather be castrated. It's fucking awful. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of it. I could be persuaded to do a draft with people I actually liked, but honestly, I'm only ever playing with like one other person most of the time. And we don't want to sit there. We want to actually play the game and not sit there building a deck the whole day. So, um, you know, we tend to play Commander. Uh, Commander differs... Uh, from standard or limited or modern uh, and a couple of other key ways. So aside from the fact that it's there can only be one of each card and they're 100 card decks, you start with double life, so each player starts with 40 instead of 20. Uh, and with the, the inclusion and the new rule set when it changed from EDH to commander, uh, there's now a commander slot on the play field. And uh, with the commander slot, uh, it, this slot doesn't exist on the playfield for other formats. Uh, but you have a legendary creature or a limited pool of uh, planeswalkers that have been pre-approved by Magic. There's only like a, I think there's a pool of like maybe fifteen planeswalkers that can be used in Commander. Um, maybe a little bit more since since the pre-built sets have been coming out. Uh, but they live in the commander slot. You can play them into the field from the command slot. When they die, they go back into the command slot. And you can keep bringing them back out for, for an additional cost of one extra mana every single time you do it. So uh, it, it lends itself to Planeswalker strategies. Planeswalkers are hard to get rolling in a very quick magic game of you know limited or modern or standard. Um, but if you're playing commander where the whole thing is build up a lot of land, build up a, a strategy over time, and then, you know, go swing in for the fences, uh, commanders have enough time to shine. You can slowly roll up their skills, you can trigger their legend skills and, and do a lot of really cool stuff. So that's why I like commander. Um, and that there's a lot of really cool mechanics in commander and, and just some fun things you can do. Uh, so I tend to only play the pre-built decks that Magic releases. They they tend to do a big block of them once a year. Uh, so the most recent ones that just came out were the the four um, D and D crossover decks. See, now that you mention this, as you've been talking, I think I do vaguely remember as a kid Commander, but I think. And maybe I'm wrong about this because I never had any because they were stupid money when they were new and they're basically worthless now because they're illegal in every format. I think that's what the Vanguard cards were for. Potentially. And, uh, which they were neat because they were cards that uh, could not be cast, could not be destroyed. Could not be, they were just always just there in a separate plane of the battlefield and they were oversized. They were huge. They were like index card size. Uh, and they came out in, like, sets of 20. Like, there was, like, Vanguard 1, Vanguard 2, Vanguard 3. 
but I never fucking had any because they're they were worth stupid money. Yeah, I think now that you mention it, I think that might have been early Commander or Highlander. Yeah, the 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 original Commanders because uh, originally Highlander was just the hundred card format and no no dupes. it got changed to the Elder Dragon Highlander with the release of the Elder Dragons and the Legends set. Um, and for a while, the only decks you could play were those five commanders. Um, Chromium Rule, uh, Arcadia Sabbath, Palladium, Moraz, uh, Nicol Bolas, and Ugin. Well, there we have it. All right, what other formats you got? <laughs> Uh, I included a couple of other ones that I find fun. Uh, in 2019, the uh, the Popper format was officially codified. Like, you can actually go to Popper events now. Uh, and it's P-A-U-P-E-R, like Prince and the Popper. Um, uh, Popper format is really made for those of us who just kept buying fat packs and booster boxes for years. And oh, hi! All of these <laughs> damn common cards. And nothing to do with them. So the idea of Popper is they're meant to be cheap to build. And uh, the only real rule of Popper is you can only use commons. No uncommons, no rares, no mythics, nothing. No legendary creatures, only commons. Uh, so that that's a fun format. I, I keep a Popper deck around, and it's fun to play. Um, uh, another, another fun off-the-wall set uh, that came out, and I don't think they're ever going to do anything with this again, but they released a a Magic uh, in a Box I, set. I was going to say, you realize that's the fourth set of this, right? What? You're talking about Unsanctioned? Oh, I have no idea. I only know about the, the latest one. Are there more yeah. Unsanctions? Oh, well, there's Unglued, which was the first one. There's Unhinged. There's Unsomething, and now there's Unsanctioned. Oh, I'm going to have to go find the other three. I this have was quite a few a, unglued cards. Th- this was such a fun format. The, the cool thing about when I bought Unsanctioned is it was all of the cards in the set in one box. Oh, okay. See, no, they never did that before. Like, Unglued and Unhinged was just a regular set. Like, you had to buy packs and buy boxes. And Yeah, the, the Unsanctioned box that I have is actually something that I can... It's, it's like a two-player board game. But it's magic. And it's just okay. ridiculous cards, like Alexander Clamilton. <laughs> uh, and it's just really funny. There's five little 30-card decks in there. You pick two, you shuffle them together, and then you play somebody else who picks two. Uh, and it's just it's hilarious. There's just stupid, ridiculous cards that shouldn't work, and they do. Uh, and it's just really funny. Um so those are kind of the three sets that I wanted to cover. There's a lot of other cool things that Magic has done. There's the uh, From the Vault sets. Uh, I, I've only ever collected one of, one of those sets. I, I, I collected the Angels one. Uh, but I think they did like uh, a, a Monsters one and, and a, a Vampires one. And I, I think there's, uh, there's some other ones too. Uh, but those are cool. It's like, you know, f- all foil cards of, of a certain creature type. And it's generally like the most popular and, and rare cards of that set. And they're a bunch of fucking money. Um, well, I, I have to ask, what just because, you know, I have the, the latest mobile app and they have a million different formats that I haven't gotten into because, you know, I'm fucking old fashioned. But what is the difference between Popper and Penny? I have no idea. 
I, I cool. only know Good about talk. Like, these formats. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I assume Penny is like even cheaper than Popper, but I, I, I mean, maybe it's, maybe Penny is price instead of rarity. Hang on. I'm going to Google it right now. I bet you that's what it is. Uh, Penny Dreadful is an unofficial magic online budget format where the legality rules include only cards that cost 0.02 cents a ticket. I have no idea what the fuck that means. Neither do I. Um, I, I assume this is just a really super cost-effective way to play magic. Yeah, but I mean, how many... How many commons are there that cost a penny? I mean, commons are cheap, but they're not that fucking cheap, are they? I mean, they might be. I mean, I have vivid memories in the 90s of going to my local brick-and-mortar store, and the commons box was all a quarter. And that was before... I mean, with inflation, that's quite a bit of money now. But... Yeah, I have no idea. What is Penny Dreadful MTG? We should not be doing this research while recording. <laughs> no, we should. I don't know. If you know about Penny, write to us. Uh, you know, what the fuck? Apparently, uh, .02 ticket is roughly one penny, so maybe that's like a price within a certain app. I don't know. It's fucking bullshit. Another goddamn thing. They ruined the goddamn game. Sixth edition and back, that's where it's at. Uh, screw the stack. Turn off your artifacts. Play Franny. No, no. Uh, artifacts are amazing. So I tend to, uh, to no surprise to Mark, I tend to almost exclusively play Artifice decks. I like Artifacts. That's why I was so pissed off when you couldn't turn them off anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I love playing Artifacts. I love playing, like, inventive-type creatures. I, I, I do think I'm going to dip my, tone, my toes in uh, deck building again because my buddy just got me a bunch of cards around that magic demonic chef. Now I want to create a food-based deck. I was going to say, this This is what you have to do. This is one reason why I was never very good at tournaments, number one, but this is the fun I have in magic. You know, I've said on this show before, magic is my cigarettes. I've quit and restarted about 25 times in my life. Yeah. Um, I build a deck around one card. I will find one card and go, I'm going to build a deck around this and I'm going to make it work. <laughs> Uh, I have that one card coming in again. It's it's probably illegal in every freaking tournament format. I don't give a fuck. I want to build a deck around Mind Slaver. It was the one card that I never got to do the last time I was playing. And I said, fuck it. I have a little bit more money now. I'm going to buy one, and we're going to make it happen. Uh, and I think it could be kind of fun. I'm probably going to have to build a blue deck around it, which I'm not crazy about. But it is what it is. And just pick your one card. You have your demonic chef. Pick your one card. Just tinker and tinker and tinker and tinker. Uh, that, to me, is the fun and magic. J just the fact that you could sit down with someone and the odds are virtually non-existent that they will have the same deck as you. Wow. Do you know how many cards have been printed? Individual. I'm not talking about reprints, but like individual actual cards. Uh, it's probably thousands and thousands and thousands, right? Just under 23,000. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So uh, it's really cool. Venture out of the 60-card format. Don't be afraid. I rocked a 150-card deck for years and years and years. Um, there are tutorials on YouTube now teaching you how to shuffle. I didn't have that back in my day. I had to physically practice. I had to carry the deck around with me everywhere and shuffle it. <laughs> um, I got made fun of a lot. I'm old enough to remember when you couldn't 
play this in school. I went to a Catholic school, and this was part of the satanic panic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This and D&D we, were... Yeah. yeah and I mean, this was, this was our D&D, right? Like, our parents probably uh, stayed away from D&D because of the satanic panic, and ours was magic. I mean, I have to be fair. My parents did not care that I played magic due to Satan or anything like that. They were pissed off that I played magic because even back then it was fucking expensive. Yeah. And, you know, my uh, summer day, my buddy Kyle would be over. We would take over my mother's entire dining room table. We'd have cards scattered everywhere. We would just sit there from morning until night playing. And my father would walk by and go, what? God damn it. What are you doing with these stupid cards? So the last story that I had before we close out the episode, Mark, and, and I, I hesitated putting this on our agenda list because I am fairly certain it's going to start a Mark rant that will last until the morning. But did you hear about the, uh, the, the lawyer who got a Magic the Gathering deck officially copyrighted this week? No, I heard about Wizards getting the parody game banned. Um, but I have not heard about this. Go on. Uh, so there's this guy named Dr. Robert Hovden, uh, who is a uh, legal provocateur, which I thought was an interesting title. Uh, but he... Is that just a stripper with a fucking secretary gimmick? I... <laughs> I think it's somebody who flaunts, you know, copyright or something. I, I don't really understand it, but he copyrighted his own personal magic deck. Uh, it is called, it's a deck he calls Angels and Demons. The deck uh, was created by a corporation through work for hire arrangements with creators and is now claimed as his exclusive IP. And he's talking about actually prohibiting people from using the deck in tournament uh, and says that the, it's all about owning culture and people's participation in culture through copyright. Uh, so, yeah, that's the thing that happened. Well, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. Um, believe it or not, I'm of two minds on this. Obviously, my first instinct is just, fuck that guy. <laughs> um, the whole point of a CCG, which is what magic is, again, despite what Wizards likes to say, is that you build different decks, you tinker, you play with, you go with that. Um, on the other hand, and this is going to sound awful, but it is going to stop net decking, which I hate. Uh, for those of you who don't know, net decking is a uh, thing where basically uh, someone will either post their own deck online or it will leak online what someone is using at the Pro Magic tournaments and the Grand Prix and things, and everyone will just copy that deck card for card. Yeah, And that plays into what a lot about DJ was saying. You go to a tournament with 32 people and 29 of them have the exact same deck card for card. It sucks. It's awful. It's cheap. Um, and when I was pretty hardcore into it, net decking was kind of a thing that was looked down upon. And in my opinion, justifiably so. I got out of the game for a while. When I got back into it, with, uh, into college, the internet was much more perf uh, available. It was much more powerful. And it was just, oh, yeah, that's what everybody does. Just deal with it. 
So it'll stop net decking. On the other hand, and again, I don't want to get political, but it sets a dangerous legal precedent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to me, if you want your deck to be unique, just build a goofy and or shitty deck like I used to. Yeah. Nobody was rocking around with a 150-card black and white deck. Nobody did that. I was the only person that did. Um, uh, no, I don't know. that. That's some A-level bullshit. But then again, on the other hand... Wizards is so uh, so happy, so legacious. It's nice to see them get a little bit of taste of their own medicine, possibly. So, again, two minds. Yeah, it's one of the... I, I don't agree um, just because of the dangerous precedent it sets. But I do... I like the idea of, like, not... Like, maybe someday being able to go to a magic event and have it be, like, about the creativeness and whatnot, not be like, oh, these four people have the same deck. Well, that was fun. And I mean, I come from racing where a lot of it is IP-based, a lot of it is design-based. You know, there was a big controversy probably about 10, 15 years ago when Bosch was making the glow plugs for both the Audi and the Peugeot uh, diesel engines at Le Mans, and they had to go to court. And even though it was the same company and a lot of the same engineers working on both projects, they actually had to go to court and prove that they were making two different parts do the same thing because they technically were the individual company's IPs. So... I mean, I guess I can kind of see it from that point of view, but I don't fucking know, man. That's that's dangerous. But at the same time, the game came out in 93. I've been playing since summer of 95. If I had a dollar for every time somebody told me this was going to kill magic, I'd probably have enough money to go back in time and buy that $400 Black Lotus. Oh, yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> I don't think it's going to kill magic, but I just, I don't love it. It doesn't, it, it, it makes me feel squicky. Oh, I agree. No, I agree. I'm definitely squicky. Uh, that guy's an asshole. Uh, but shit happens when you party naked, as they say. <laughs> and by they, of course, I mean Lou. <laughs> All right, take us out, buddy. Is that it? Are we fucking done with this fucking game? With this fucking game. Uh, oh. So thank you all for listening. Uh, if you play Magic, let us know your thoughts. And if you don't play Magic, don't fucking start. <laughs> um, no, seriously, it's like cocaine. Just, just don't do it. It's true. Um, if you listen to us on uh, iTunes or Spotify or wherever the hell you listen to us, uh, like us, subscribe to us, follow us, please. Uh, it gets us up in the rankings. It gives us some analytics we could play off of. Uh, give us a rating if your app supports ratings. Uh, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. We want to know how we're doing. We want feedback. Uh, we're on the better part of 30 different uh, platforms. You know them all now. Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, yada, yada, yada. The full list is on Facebook. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Gmail. We have a website. It's the thewittandwhiskeycast.com. There's no H in wit. There is an E in whiskey. See, I got it right that time. Uh, so, you know, look us up, follow our pictures, follow our hashtags. 
if you have an idea for a whiskey to drink for one of us, if you have an idea for a topic, if you have feedback on a topic, you want us to revisit something, send us an email, message us on Facebook or uh, Instagram. Slide into our DMs, as the kids say. <laughs> so uh, big shout-out, as always, to Nuno Henry Silver for our intro and outro. We're going to send you to a SoundCloud, listen to his stuff, buy his book. The link's going to be available. We had it up last week. We had it up this week. It's dirt cheap, and it's good shit. So support those that support us. Uh, so is, are, are we starting next week? Is that what we're doing? Is it, is it the big one? It is. So next week, we are going to begin our multi-part odyssey. We're not sure how many parts it's going to be. It's going to be at least two, maybe three, into Prohibition. I'm so excited. Now, what, where are we starting with this? Are we doing cocktails first? Are we doing gangsters first? What are, what are we doing first here? You have the schedule. I don't have the schedule. I think we got to start. I think we got to start with the history around, like you know, what what was prohibition and and what, like what gave rise to prohibition. Uh, I think we can start talking a little bit about cocktail stuff. So I'm going to start doing my research on like cocktail culture back then, like before and after and during. Um, but ultimately, I think we got to start with the why prohibition and what prohibition and whatnot. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Next week is going to be part one of Prohibition and Whiskey, and you all just heard it. We've recorded this, and uh, you know I know he has editorial control, but I'm not going to let him cut that last part out because you heard it here first, folks. He took me off the leash. <laughs> We're doing history next week, so buckle the fuck up. <laughs> um, but I'm excited. It's going to be a great way to close out season three. We're at the fucking end already. Can you believe it? We are. Uh, it's going to be a great way to close out season three. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to go immediately start researching as soon as we're done here. <laughs> so, hey, until next week, salute. Cheers. Cheers.